The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. Last Sunday we talked about prayer, and this morning I want to continue kind of a part two to talk about prayer. And we're going to be in 1 Kings, so if you have your Bibles with you, take God's Word and go to 1 Kings, and we're going to be in chapter 18. Anytime I talk about prayer, I like to look at the prayer of Elijah. And let me catch you up of what's happening here, because Elijah lived during the darkest moment of Israel's history when Solomon passed away. A civil war broke out, and there was a nation divided in two. It was Israel and then the north Judah in the north. And after 19 consecutive wicked kings, they lost sight of the Jehovah God. And they plunged into this rebellion. And it wasn't until the king Ahab rose to power and began leading people even further away from God in the worship of Baal. And finally God said, enough is enough. I've seen enough. And you know, when we're going to be looking at it, you really see how patient God is with people, 19 kings. So after 200 years of drifting, God raised up an Elijah. He was a nobody who God decided to make a somebody and use for his glory. And Elijah responded to his call. And when he did, he requested an audience with the king, Ahab. And when he told him, Hey, guess what? It's not going to rain until God says it's going to rain. And you know, the significance of this prophecy that their God that they were going to worship, Baal, was a God of fertility and a God of rain. And here's God saying, guess what? It's not going to rain. <laughs> so he's calling them out. So this is what's kind of happening in the background, in the setting And we'll begin reading in 1 Kings 18, verses 41 through 46, the following. Then Elijah said to Ahab, Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound abundance of rain. So Ahab Ahab went up to eat and drink, but notice what Elijah does. He doesn't go and party and drink. Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, then he bowed down to the ground and put his face between his knees. And said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. So the servant goes up, and so he went and looked and said, there's nothing. And seven times he said, go again. Then it came to pass the seventh time that he said, there's a cloud, as small as man's hand, rising out of the sea. So he said, go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind. There was heavy rain, so Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Now I know we talked about, we're going to talk about prayer, but one of the things you see these last two verses kind of interesting. There's a miracle of God. So he tells Ahab, go get your horses a chariot. He typically has one to three horses and a chariot. So he's riding to Jezreel, but then all of a sudden, you know, Elijah, God puts his hand on him, and he ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance. Talk about trying out for Olympics, right? Wonder what kind of coffee he gave him or something. But Ahab arrives and There's Elijah sitting at the gate. I don't know. I just thought it was interesting. Now, I'll talk to you about praying for rain. Someone said there's dust on your Bible. There's drought in the heart. And I truly believe that. And, you know, uh, before we do anything, as I mentioned last Sunday, we ask for God's blessing on the church or any kind of ministries or anything. Before we do anything, we must learn how to pray. We must learn how to pray, and when I say praying for rain, I'm talking about spiritual revival. Now, a lot of times Christians get this confused. Uh, Spiritual revival is for the Christian. It's for the church. Evangelism is for the unbelievers. So when we talk about revival, they're talking about, hey, let's go out in the world. No, it's in-house. It's for us, the revival. 
So most of us, you know, crying today and saying, where's this God? All loving God, all this craziness going up in the world with the virus and so forth. Where's the God of Elijah? Does miracles. Well, the question becomes, well, where's all the Elijahs of this world? Where's, where's the Elijahs that God can rely on to pray? And again, one of the things that I think is missing, the missing ingredient from lots of churches, is prayer. And I'm talking about fervent prayer, passionate prayer, not lay me down to sleep prayer. And you know, I was reading about prayer, and Andrew Murray said this, in relation to his people, God works only in answer to their prayers. In relation to his people, God works only in answer to their prayers. And Dr. R.A. Torrey said, nothing lies beyond the reach of prayer, but that lies outside the will of God. So if it's not the will of God, we don't want it anyway, but everything can be reached in prayer. And I said this before, when the reason I'm so kind of pushing for prayer, because when you rely on an organization, you get something that organization can do, and that's something. When you rely on education, you get something that education can do, money, something money can do. Maybe singing and preaching, you get something that singing and preaching can do. But when we rely upon prayer, and you have to understand this, we get what God can do. What God can do. And God can do anything. And I think that's what we need more in our lives as individuals and as a church not what we can do, but what God can do. And, you know, in Elijah, and we talked briefly last Sunday about one of the requirements, if you will, to answer prayer, you might, you have to confess your sins. You have to be right with God. And, you know, if we go back to James 5, 16 and 18, James is talking about prayer as well, and he says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And then he says, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And then he moves on to verse 17, and he uses Elijah as an example of this. He says, Elijah was a man with nature like ours. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain. It land for three days and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. You see, Elijah was a righteous man, and he gives us an illustration of of, of a righteous man. Now, Elijah was on top of that mountain not to demonstrate or show off something that he can do, but something that God can do, and that's what we need. So I want to talk about kind of a spiritual revival. Revival, not just, but mostly our prayer life that we need to revive. And I think our homes, our city, our country, we need to revive our prayers. And, you know, it saddens me when I see leadership start leaving out the word God out of prayers. Well, who are you praying to? So we need this more than any time in our history, and the reason is you see it being less and less, and not just in the world, but inside the church. You know, we say, hey, let's do this, I can do this, and all that stuff, and we start doing a ministry we don't even ask God's blessing on it. We don't even pray for it. Well, did God want us to do that? Or did he have different plans for us? So the first thing I want to say when we pray, as individuals and as a church, we must pray with integrity. And integrity is what you are when nobody's watching, right? I see you're all looking beautiful this morning and all dressed up, and, but I don't know how you act outside these walls. Not all of you. So it must have integrity. So in 1 Kings, verse 42, if you look at it, it says, So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he bowed down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Who is this man doing this? Was this some kind of superhero? Do he have superpowers? He's a prayer warrior. Was he a supernatural creature? No, remember we just read in James, he says Elijah was a man with nature like ours. So he puts on his pants one leg at a time just like us. He's not any different. Sometimes we look at the heroes of the faith and we're like, oh, 
but they're made out of the same stuff as you are. You know, we look at Paul and say how great of an apostle he was and so forth. Well, made out of the same stuff as you are. He was a man like us, but as a matter of fact, in, if you continue to read about him in the next chapter, you see he was a man that often failed. He was running from a demon-possessed woman. He was got discouraged. He wanted God to kill him. So he wasn't a perfect man, but he was a righteous man. And in Proverbs 15, 29, it says, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of righteous. In 1 Peter 3, 12, it says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. You know, I was reading about prayer, reading some R.E. Torrey, and one of the interesting things that I found, and I want to share that with you this morning, and I agree with this wholeheartedly. He gives three conditions for any church to have revival or be positive in the community. Um, and he says this, first, let a few Christians, they need not be many, get thoroughly right with God themselves. Get thoroughly right with God themselves. This is the prime essential if this is not done, the rest of what I'm going to say will come to nothing. So that's the first point. Get right with God. Then he says, second, let them bind themselves together in a prayer group to pray for revival until God opens the heavens and comes down. So he talks about that prevailing prayer, consistency. Third, let them put themselves at the disposal of God for him and use as he sees fit in winning others to Christ. That is all. That is sure to bring revival to any church or community. And he says, I've given this prescription around the world and it has been taken by too many churches, many communities, and in no instance has it failed because it cannot fail. But the first one is we must be right with God. Remember, the church is just a, makes all of us just made up of all the individuals that are sitting here. That's all church is. And he stated, if the first step is not done, it's not taking, everything else would be in vain. You remember the great Isaiah prophet in Isaiah 6, 5, he said, woe to me that I'm done because I have unclean lips. So he saw his sins first, and then he noticed the sins of the people he lives among. He says, also, I'm surrounded by people of unclean lips. So we need to clean ourselves up. Is there anything that, you know, one of those sins that we hang on to, that we just don't want to let go? It's kind of like a private sin. You know, we say, ah, God will, God will let this one go. Folks, God punished his own son on the cross for the sins of the world, and you think he's going to let you get away with it? That's how you uh, shared with you how they catch monkeys in, this, uh, in the South Sea Islands. They put a hole in a coconut, and they put some cooked rice in it, and they tie it to a tree. You know, a hole is just small enough for the monkey to put its hand through. A monkey comes through and gets, puts its hand in there, wants to get some rice, and tries to pull it out, and it can't. And it starts to panic, and, you know, and while it's, hand can't get out of the coconut, the people come and just put it in the bag and catch the monkey. All the monkey has to do is let go of the rice and pull its hands out. But it doesn't want to, right? Sometimes we're like the monkeys. We're hanging on to something, and we're wondering why our prayers are not answered. All you have to do is let go. Anybody know any monkeys like that? I know plenty of people like that. And they just don't want to let go. They are screaming and begging and pleading not to be captured, but they won't let go. Now, we read last Sunday, you know, in Psalm 66, said if we regard iniquity in our heart, the Lord will not hear. So you need to be honest with yourself. Is there any iniquity in your heart that you're not letting go? And we're not just talking about sin. Do you ever think about the sin of gossip? 
bad-mouthing somebody. We're just, you know, not necessarily we always think of sin of, I don't know, being drunk or doing something evil. No, there's other sins. You know, God talks about eating too much is a sin. Any of us do that? Now, have you thought about or asked the question, why is Elijah on top of the mountain praying for rain? You see, God gave Elijah an assignment when he first started, and he requested an audience, and he said, hey, it's not going to rain for some time because you're causing all this chaos in Israel. You're causing people to go astray. And Elijah went to the king to tell him that God was not going to sweep the sons of the nation under the rug anymore. He's not. And I think that's very needed in our churches today. I often say, you know, it's not the church house, it's not the white house, it's not the state house, it's the church house that it's fault. It must start with the church house. Why? Because judgment starts with the church house. Everything starts with the church house. But it seems the church house is becoming more reliant on the people versus their God. Look at 1 Peter 4.17. He says this, For the time has come for the judgment to begin where? At the White House? At the church house? At the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel? So God's people started going to idol worship, and he wasn't going to stand for it. Is that any different from ours today? We might not have physical idols that we're worshiping, but there's idols in the church. And because of this, the righteous and the unrighteous were suffering because there was no rain. There was no rain. People were suffering because of these conditions. And sin always results in the heavens being closed. So when we confess, confront our sin, confess our sins to one another, heavens are going to be open. So when we pray, we must pray with integrity. And again, if you look at Proverbs 20, uh, verse 7, it says, the righteous man walks in his integrity. His children are blessed after him, the generations after. So not only we must pray with integrity, but with intensity. If you look at verse 42 again, it says that he put his face between his knees. When I read that, it shows me how important prayer was to this man. Elijah didn't eat all day. You know, he didn't eat, drink. Why didn't he have a nice meal before he headed up? Because that's the difference between spiritual giants. You know, we always look at Paul or so forth. Well, that's the difference. To be in the presence of God. Mediocre believer allows, you know, the desires of our flesh come before God, not with these spiritual giants that we read about because they thrive on the presence of God. And he went alone to the mountain where he could be alone with God on a mountaintop to pray. And he understood what Jesus taught his apostles later that we need to sometimes, we have those prayers, we come to the prayer meeting, we pray together, but there's also those prayers those individual private prayers that you do in the closet where you separate yourself from everybody and you just get alone with God. And Matthew 6, 6 says, but when you pray, go into your room. When you have shut your door, pray to your father who's in a secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Now, it doesn't have to be a room. Somewhere you can get alone with God. And if you study the life of Jesus and his prayer life, he often withdrew himself to go to be alone in prayer. And folks, to tell you the truth, the best time thing I do right here is not what I do right here, preaching and so forth. This is the product of what I do behind closed doors of my prayer life. That's the best thing I can do for anybody. So it's not just some neat, cold, formal little prayers. Those are prayers that we call out to God. And do you remember another Old Testament prophet we talked about a while back, Nehemiah? Nehemiah was a man of prayer. And he prayed and fasted for four months before he went. 
So we see Elijah here bowed down to the ground. So it's not some formal prayer, but he put his head between his knees, he's bent low. And sometimes I'm convinced that, you know, sometimes when we say, oh, I'll pray for you, we just babble it off, but we don't really even mean it. We just did it as a check mark. But look at Jesus' prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ as noted in Hebrews 5, 7. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. This is the Son of God. He's praying to God with cries, tears, forceful, passionate, intense manner. Does that mark our prayers, folks? Can you hear the Son of God? See him there with his sobs, tears, running down the streets? The very Son of God. Mysterious thing. Who had absolute authority and entrance into the throne, yet he's weeping, he's praying. And I'm afraid when I look at this, not just up here telling you how your prayer life should be or according to the book, but it convicts me of my own personal prayers. My prayers are not like that. His soul was moved with the need of the people. He felt pressure of the thing that he prayed for. And folks, we need this kind of fervent prayer in our churches with intensity. Not only that, here's where we lack too, is we need to pray with authority. If you look at verse 31 in 1 Kings of 18, then Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound abundance of rain. Now, <clears throat> well, you have to understand it hasn't been raining, drought, no food, panic in the nation. And he says, sound abundance of rain is coming. I want to tell you when he said that, there wasn't a cloud in the sky. There wasn't a cloud in the sky when he said that. But he prayed with authority. So why could he pray with such authority and say, hey, abundance of rain? How can he say that? He probably looked like a crazy man, right? Then drought, no rain, and all of a sudden somebody stands up and says there's a mountain's rain. Well, look at verse 1 in chapter 18. And it says, And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. I will send rain. He could pray with authority because he had the word of God behind him. There's no such thing as faith without the word from God. You know, in Romans 10, 18, it says, So faith comes by hearing, and the hearing by the word of God. And I want to learn something. We're going to park here for just a moment. You know, God had promised to send rain. This is what we need to understand. Elijah knew that God has promised to send rain beforehand, as we read in verse 1, right? It says, and I will send rain. Well, for the most of us, that probably would have been settled, right? God said he will do it. Probably we would not have prayed for it or not prayed very much. He would send rain because God said so. He was promised. He can't fail. It's done. And again, he's a prophet. He heard it directly from God. But it's that promise didn't cause Eliza not to pray. It was complete opposite. The promises of God from his word caused Elijah to pray to him. And we read in James 1.6, it says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed into the sea, into the wind. So the promises of God that we have in the Bible are not to make us not to pray. It's complete opposite. is for us to pray. It's the very promises of God that teach us what to pray for. The promises were not given so our prayer ends. It gives us promises. That's where it begins, and we need to see this. So God 
gives us promises, but it's an interesting thing that he still does not act until his people pray. It's a mysterious thing to me. You know, another preacher from the past, F.B. Meyer, said this. I think he was one of the greatest preachers next to Charles Spurgeon, but he said, the Bible is crowned with golden promises from board to board. They will be inoperative until we turn those promises into prayer. We turn those promises into prayer. So when we pray in the will of God, as we talked about last Sunday, we need to pray with authority of the Word of God. Not only he played with authority, but we also see humility in his prayer. Again, in verse 42, it says, he put his face between his knees, started praying. Do you remember in the Second Chronicles, not too long ago, we talked about, if my people do what? Humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. It's good for us to remember that, that God does not exist merely to, you know, answer our prayers or fill our wishes. He will honor the person that comes in his presence humbly, who humble themselves. And 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. And James 4.10, it also says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. So we come in his presence, we need to humble ourselves. In Proverbs 28.1, we read, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. So he humbles himself, and by humbling himself, he becomes as bold as a lion. And we see that in verses 17 and 18 of 1 Kings chapter 18. It says, Then it happened, Ahab saw Elijah, and Ahab said to him, Is that you, a troubler of Israel? So all this stuff that's going on, Ahab is looking for a scapegoat. Who can we blame? Elijah, you're the one that's troubling Israel. And this is the king. Could have him beheaded and so forth. In verse 18, he says this, I have not troubled Israel. But you and your father's house have, that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed Baals. He's bold as a lion, telling the king and the nation what their sins are. He could look into the king's eyes and he says, hey, you're the trouble. No, I'm not the trouble. The trouble is we forgot our God Almighty. He's not first place. We need to humble ourselves, and God will exalt us in his due time. Because when we have the proper fear of God, when we have a proper fear of God, he removes all other fears. Did you know that? He removes all other fears. You might not go in there with, you know, stamping your foot or something, but you will stand your ground patiently. You won't you know, hesitate or whatever. You're going to be patient. You're going to be reserved. And you're going to be at peace because I have the proper fear of God. No matter what you do to me, I don't care because we have the proper fear of God. Not only he had integrity, intensity, authority, and humility, this man had a promise from God. He speaks to him face to face on the ground, between his knees. And you know, sometimes I look at churches, not a particular church, but I see dancing on the stages, worshiping, all this hyped up stuff. And that's great sometimes. I'm not saying we shouldn't have those. Don't want to be a dead church. But I rarely see on YouTube or any churches that televise where the whole church just gets on its knees and prays to humble themselves. That would be kind of boring, right, to show this is what we are. But that's what God requires. Missing ingredient is the humility in our prayers. And in James 4, God says this, but he gives more grace. Therefore, says God, resist the proud, but he gives 
grace to the humble. So humble ourselves. We must humble ourselves as we enter into his presence. It's all about him, not about us. And we briefly talked about persistency. I'm going to show persistency here too in, in a prayer because we give up too easily in prayers, folks. We do. You know, pray one or two, three times, and then we just kind of give up. And we mentioned Paul praying three times. He got an answer. Well, look at Elijah. How many times he had to pray? In verse 43, it says, said to his servant, go up now, look towards the sea. So he went up and looked and said, there's nothing. And seven times he said, go again. Seven times. Now, again, Paul prayed three times. He got an answer. So we see what we kind of talked about it last Sunday, what Elijah's doing, asking, seeking, and knocking. And the weird thing is, God already gave him that promise. He prays, nothing. Prays again, nothing. Seven times he asked his servant to go up. Why keep praying? God, you said you were going to do it. I prayed, right? Why do I need to keep praying? Because we cannot allow outward circumstances affect our inward assurances that we have from God. He was persistent. And again, many of us probably just thought maybe we misheard God. He said he would send rain. I prayed for it. It's time for rain, but I see no rain. And again, it's a mysterious thing. And we, when we learn to wait on God, and Mike's briefly talking about this in the prayer meetings, when we waiting on God, when we pray and waiting on God, he didn't just sit around after his first prayer. He continued to pray. So that's what we need to do is continue to pray. As we read in Colossians 4, 2, it says, continue earnestly in prayer, be vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Continue earnestly. So we need to keep knocking until we have the answer from God. So we shouldn't just sit around. I prayed for it, and that's it. And then we're just waiting to see what happens. Continue to pray until you have an answer. And we need to do that because in Isaiah 30, 18, it says the Lord will wait. Sometimes God delays because he may be gracious to you. And therefore he will exalt it, and he have mercy on you for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. So as we talked about last Sunday, God's delays are not necessarily denials. And as we read in Luke 11, 9, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open. Therefore, the Lord be gracious to you. And folks, I don't know why anybody tells you, oh, I know why God's not answering your prayer or this has happened in your life. Um, I, I don't. Maybe they're just trying to make you feel comfortable or tell you things you want to hear, but I don't know why God does not always answer prayer. God wanted rain, right? God promised rain. And yet I see a man who's absolutely right with God in this moment, praying for the right thing, praying in the will of God, and he has to ask seven times to get his answer. In verse 34, then he came to pass seven times that he said, there's a cloud, a small man's hand. And then he says, oh, snap, go get your chariot. The rain is coming. And he said, I'm going up on the mountain to pray. He went up the mountain, put his head between his knees. Seven prayer sessions. Put his prayed prayer, fervent prayer, sends his servant. Nope, nothing. Another prayer session. Then on the eighth trip, the servant saw a little cloud out of the sea, and he says, God's answer has come. That's when he stopped praying. His answers had prevailed. His prayer and God was sending rain. And again, folks, if we prayed for something five, six, seven times, then go back on your knees and pray eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth. Some of us feel like giving up. Any of you feel like giving up? Sometimes I do. I'll be honest with you. As a pastor, I feel like giving up. Just God, what else? How long? But then I have to remind me myself of these promises 
The promises I'm reminding of you also apply to me. And I continue to pray. And we need to go back and pray for rain. And one of the things that kind of keeps me praying consistently is because I don't want to give up right before the miracle. What if you give up on the fifth try? Well, in God's book, we don't know, the miracle's going to come on the seventh time. So I don't want to give up. Because 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes in 5.17, says, pray without ceasing. So don't stop praying. It's like oxygen for a Christian. How is your prayer life? I mean, you all studied the Word of God. Well, you can't study the Word of God apart from prayer. Prayer is essential in in the Christian's life. And we should not let our prayers come to an end, but persist and continue to pray until we do have an answer. And again, folks, sometimes answers come, as I mentioned last Sunday. You might be long gone, but the prayer, the answer comes after, after that. So we need to pray for our individual lives and prayer for the church. And folks, I want this to be a church not, we can fill the pews, we can. We can have 800 pagans here. But one of my fears is I'm going to have to stand in front of God and give account for that. I want this to be a biblical church. And folks, in the back of my head, I understand I may not see it in my time. It may come after I'm long gone. But would that cause me to stop praying for the church, for this to be a light in this neighborhood? Folks, God kept this church open and still here today since 1960. Next year would be 50 years. And regardless of its history and past, the ups and downs, God has something planned for this church. And if he didn't, we wouldn't be here. So somehow, we're still here. We're still surviving. But God requires us to pray to send his blessings. So we need to pray. And I'm not talking, God bless Cornet or, you know, give him good. Pray for the entire church. And be ready as Elijah to be used. Elijah was a nobody. But when you started praying, God said, go talk to the king. What? And not only he goes talks to the king, but the king's willing to listen. Right? He could have just shut the door on Elijah. And we need to pray because God's word gives us the assurance that he would answer. He would answer our prayers. In 1 John 5.14, it says, Now this is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Well, saving people, changing their address from the world to heaven, that's his will. And Isaiah 65.24 says, And it should come to pass that before they call, I will answer. Before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. So as individuals, as churches, we need to be persistent and constant in our prayers. Do you guys remember the story when God freed Peter from jail? The sanctified uh, prison break? God did a miracle. I want to read that story to you. So just follow along in Acts 12, verses 5 through 11. And it says this. Peter, therefore, kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side, raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. His chains fell off. Can you imagine that? You're tied up to two guards, All of a sudden, an angel shines up. It's bright in your prison cell. And he says, arise quickly. What will you be doing? Probably the same thing Peter was doing. He was like, huh? And I say that because in verse 8, he says, then the angel said to him, gird yourself and tie your sandals. So he tells him, arise quickly. Peter's standing there, and the angel, in my own language, says, hurry up, tie your shoes, get your laces, let's go. Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. 
And so he did. And he said, put on your garment and follow me. Don't just sit there. Come on. And then verse 9, so he went out, followed him, and did not know what was done by the angel was real. See that? Thought he was seeing a vision. In verse 10, when they were past the first and second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads out to the city, which opened to them of its own accord, and they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel, has delivered me from the hand of Herod, and from all expectation of Jewish people. Peter was in shock. He was witnessing a miracle. Folks, if you paid attention, it mean he was tied up to two soldiers. Outside the cell doors, there's more guards. All of a sudden, Peter's walking out the front door. Not only past those, but he was not doing a prison break outside some tunnel or behind some door or being, you know, lit out at a window. He's walking out the front. Not only he walks past them, but then he passed, walks, walks past the first guard post, the second guard post, and then the first doors, the iron gates, they open up, and he walks out. Incredible, incredible thing, right? Well, if you read verse 5 carefully again, what was the church doing for their beloved pastor, for one of their leaders? Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Did God need their prayers to free Peter? No, we know he didn't. But again, God works according to the prayers of his people when they're right with God. God worked, constant prayer was offered. Another prophet, Jeremiah 33.3, we all know this, right? Call to me and I will answer you and show you the great mighty things which you do not know. Do you know where Jeremiah was when God told him that? 99% of the time, somebody asks you where a prophet was or apostle, you can say prison, because that's where a lot of them were. And he was in prison. And who is this person or who is this God that's telling Jeremiah this? You know, Jeremiah 32, 17, and 18, he says this, Ah, Lord, behold, you have made the heavens and earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. There's nothing too hard for you. You show loving kindness to thousands and repay their iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them, the great, the mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts. You know, sometimes we get a little proud, you know, when we have somebody's phone number. Like, you know, anybody have Mike DeWine's phone number, private cell phone number? I met somebody that was, you know, kind of proud, like showing me, hey, I got divine's private number, his cell phone number. I can call him anytime. I was like, that's cool. But this is the mighty God that's given you his personal phone number, Jeremiah 33.3. This is the God of mighty God, whose name is Lord of hosts, created heavens and earth. He knows his prophet is in jail. And yet he says, call me, call me. Call me and I'll show you great and mighty things which you do not know. He showed Peter. He showed Jeremiah. And folks, I want God to show this church the mighty things that we do not know. Not because of us, because of God. But in order for that to happen, for the servants of God, prayer must be a full-time job. Now, if we want this church, again, to be successful, and when I say successful, in God's eyes, not in people's eyes, in God's eyes, it needs to be a praying church. And in order for us to be a praying church, we all need to be praying individuals. And not lay me down to sleep type of prayer. That, that, you know, those have places. But that fervent prayer where we get along with God, we get a list, maybe it's the prayer list, and you add things in there, and you fervently pray for each one. 
You know, sometimes at prayer meetings, you know, to, because of time, we pray for certain people and other pray for other people and so forth. But I do have a prayer closet when I get alone with God and spend time and pray for each of the individuals on there. Pray for your families, brothers, sisters, those who are suffering. And folks, we need to keep praying, that's the thing, until we have an answer. And folks, I'll be honest, and if you're honest, prayer doesn't sound very exciting to us, does it? This, This sermon probably is not very exciting to you. But it's like learning the scales. I remember when I first took guitar lessons. My brother plays the guitar. I did research on the web. What's the best guitar you can buy, you know, all these expensive guitars, and I went and got one, so just, you know, just in case... I suck, I know it's not the guitar. But when I got to the teacher, kind of laughed at me at the first lesson. He took the guitar, said nice guitar, put it back in the case, closed it, and said, sit behind the piano. I am going to show you the scales. I don't want to learn the scales. I want to learn some rock and roll solos. Scales? Seriously? And then you have to learn the layout of all the scales that he gave you on the guitar. Not very exciting, right? Not when you want to show off in front of your friends and you're like, hey, I can play a scale. Do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, si, do, right? It's not very exciting. You know, we're all, what I'm trying to say is we're all ready to be Elijah's. We're all ready to stand up to the kings. We're all ready to go to the mountains and so forth, you know, and see the fire of God come down. We're all doing but. Are we ready to pray? When you go on vacation, typically we get so tied up, prayer is the first thing to go. You know, when rushing the kids out the door or whatever, first thing to go, morning prayer. You wake up late and so forth. Sometimes we completely abandon prayer when we go on vacation. Yet there's no other way to receive God's blessings except through prayer. All spiritual blessing that God has to give come through a life of prayer. And if you want good things that God loves, we must pray for them. Everybody wants wisdom. I want wisdom. How do we get it? The Bible tells us, let us ask of God. Again, prayer. Conversions. Is that because we convert people because we, we do something? No, it's the Holy Spirit. He may utilize us. But we need to pray that God converts people. There's no other way, again, folks, to receive blessings, true blessings of God, than through prayer. That's the reason I put so much emphasis on prayer, because, again, prayer is whatever God can do. I can spend all my energy doing things and fail and be tired, or I can spend energy in praying and have God do something. What would you want? You want something in your church that Cornet can do or something in our church that God can do? Correct answer is God, not me. And we have to have faith when we read, when we come to God in prayers. Be persistent. Elijah had faith. That's why he didn't have to give up. He continued praying. In Mark 11, 22 and 24, it says, So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God, for I assuredly say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. Again, this is just a metaphor. Not, he's not does not want us to move mountains. And does not doubt in his heart, but believes that all things he says will be done, he will have whatever he has. And therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you will receive them and you will have them. And again, That's praying in the will of God. You see, Elijah knew it was the will of God to send rain. How did he know? In his word, he clearly told them that God was going to send rain. So he was praying in the will of God. And he had faith, which caused them to pray, not just once, not twice, seven times. And then when he got the answer, he stopped. So folks, again, We need revival in our churches more than we need rain today. 
but we need revival in our hearts, revival of our prayer life. And again, whenever God blesses this church, blesses the nation, I don't know, but I know if you improve your prayer life, he will bless you. You will have blessings. And it's not your job to pursue God to send revival into your heart. You know that? Because he already wants to do that. It's your job to permit him. Let him send it. In Isaiah 44, 33, it says this, 44, verse 3, For I will pour water on him who is thirsty, and the floods of their dry ground I will pour my spirit in your descendants and my blessings on your offsprings. We're not thirsty. We're not thirsty for prayer. Therefore, we don't receive blessings. You know, sometimes parents start praying for their children when they're turned to teenagers. I learned a valuable lesson from my father when he said he prayed for us before we even born. He didn't know there was going to be a cornet. But he said in his prayers, and I got them from grandma, if we have children, I don't care what they do for a living or whatever, as long as they have you in their heart. And sometimes we delay those prayers, but pour water. Are you hungry? Not only for yourself, but also for your offspring. And folks, one of the things I always say, I don't know how much God you got in your own heart, how much God you got, how much God you allowed in your life. But one thing I would tell you, you can have as much as you want. No one has cornered the market of God. How much God do you have in your heart? And folks, again, we need to be a praying church because I really do want this church for people to walk into and they say, wow, something different about them. And it's not going to be because of me or you. You're going to say, something different about them. God's doing something over there. Because God is going to show us things that we do not know. And I'd rather have much of his blessings than anything I can do myself. So we need to be a praying church. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you're God that answers. Thank you, Lord, that you, through the Holy Spirit, also energize us to pray. And Father, I pray just like your apostles asked, teach us how to pray, Lord. Give us strength in our prayers that we'll just commit our wills to you. And Father, I pray that the Grace Fellowship Church be a praying church and that only your name glorified in this place. And I also pray that you protect us and keep us in the upcoming week. And Father, as always, as we leave this place, I pray that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us everywhere we go. In Jesus' wonderful name I pray, amen.